Well, hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I just want to welcome you to our online service. Uh, so happy to be with you this morning as we're jumping into God's word. And I'm joining you in your, your living room, wherever you're watching this service with your friends or your family. Maybe it's just you and I, but man, I'm even more excited for two weeks from now, we'll be gathering in person. So I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to see you all and to be able to worship and hear from God's word together. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to John chapter three. And we're going to be continuing our series uh, called The Way, the Truth, and the Life. And we're tracking the life of Jesus uh, chronologically through the Gospels, looking at his works, looking at his miracles, looking at the words that Jesus said, eventually leading up to his death and his resurrection. So excited about this series. And like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 3 today. So written by John, John was a Palestinian Jew. He was a member of the 12. He was often referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, this guy did life with Jesus. He was one of his best friends. Um, they really had just this intimate bond that we see in scripture. And we can go to the, the gospel of John and really see um, what Jesus's words and his actions meant to the people that he interacted with. Uh, while different gospels, they, they track different accounts of Jesus, uh, the gospel of John is going to focus specifically on these certain things, his greatness as the creator God of the universe. It's going to focus on him being the word incarnate, taking on flesh. We're going to focus on him being the gracious lover of our souls and the only way to the father. So instead of focusing on events and focusing on, you know, particular things that Jesus did, John is going to dwell and focus on the words of Jesus and really help us understand how Jesus thought and why he said certain things that he did. So that's why this chapter three is significant today, because we're going to see an interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. So if you're there, John chapter three, verse one, let's go ahead and jump in and see this interaction. Verse one says, now there came a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Uh, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the spirit. In verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So here we see uh, this interaction. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and this topic about being born again is brought up. And before we jump into specifically what it means to be born again, I think it's helpful to understand who this mysterious man, uh, Nicodemus, was. So look at verse 1 again. There's a man of the Pharisees 
named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So Nicodemus is a big deal. He is a Pharisee, which is a member of the religious elite. And these guys, they took their faith very, very uh, seriously. And the modern Christian world, you know, when we think about a Pharisee, we think about um, somebody that's super religious that adds onto God's word. And they're just all about the rules. They're all about trying to be right all the time. But honestly, these guys, they thought what they were doing was completely glorifying to the Lord. They thought that they were uh, living by a standard of holiness that God would look down on and be like, okay, you know what? You're doing a good job. You're doing exactly what I'm calling you to do. Uh, they were so obsessed with keeping the law that they went to extreme lengths in order to keep from breaking it. Um, look at the Sabbath, for example. During the Sabbath, uh, a Jew would keep no more than a dried fig and enough drink for just a mouthful of water or milk at a time in order to keep from breaking the Sabbath. Um, it was illegal to tie a knot during uh, the Sabbath. So if a man had to draw water from a well, he would go to the well, he'd see a rope and he'd see a bucket. But if it wasn't tied, he, he couldn't tie the rope to the bucket in order to draw water from that well. But a woman could tie a knot in her sash. So what they would do is they would bring the woman and they would use her, her sash to tie a knot to the bucket because that was lawful. That was permissible. They could do that and not break the law. That's how crazy serious they were about their faith. And looking at Nicodemus, uh, he's a leader of the Jews. This means that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are made up of 70 men, both lay and clerical, and they had complete authority over every single Jew on the planet. And when it's saying that he's a ruler of them, uh, he's possibly the best, uh, most knowledgeable, well-versed teacher in all of Jerusalem at this time. So what we are about to experience between Jesus and Nicodemus is possibly um, Jesus talking to a man who is the wisest, most religious, uh, most knowledgeable person on the planet at this time. Let's go ahead and look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that begs the question, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? Okay, let's, let's look at what's happening with Jesus at this point. He's turning water into wine. He's preaching a message of people to come and repent. Uh, he actually just cleansed the temple. So he walks in, he sees uh, sin that's going on and money changers that are acting you know, wrongfully in the temple. So he gets a whip and he whips them out, cleanses the temple. Um, if you're Nicodemus, you don't want to be seen talking to this man right now. You got to think about his credentials. A Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, a leader, a teacher of the Jews. If there are friends or whoever looking at him, seeing him, him talking to Jesus, that, that's going to cause some issues for him. That's going to cause his authority to be thrown into question. Um, maybe a different perspective. You know, I think about when I'm going to have somebody over, we're going to have a, a deep, you know, heart-to-heart -heart conversation. I have kids. I, I know if I do that during the day, that is going to be an interrupted conversation. So maybe Nicodemus wanted the opportunity to have this uninterrupted heart-to-heart -heart discussion where there wasn't going to be any distractions. So he comes to him at night. 
So as Nicodemus initiates this conversation, um, Jesus sees his heart, okay? And immediately he calls him out and he talks about this topic about being born again. And it makes me think, you know, um, in the Christian world, we are part of the church. We hear this term that's just thrown around so loosely, uh, born again, that, that person's born again. I'm a born again Christian. We hear the words born again. And my fear is maybe we have some misunderstandings of what being born again actually means. And that's what Jesus is going to get to the heart of um, in this passage. So three misunderstandings that I have. The first misunderstanding is that when we are born again, uh, I have to be perfect. You know, very often when people come to a, a, a saving uh, faith in Jesus and they confess with their mouths, they think, okay, um, now because I'm a Christian, now because I'm saved, I have to be perfect. But eventually what happens is we are human. We are, you know, inherently sinful, we still have temptations. And the Christian life is often one step forward, two steps back. Maybe it's two steps forward, one step back, and we forget about progressive sanctification. Uh, the moment that we are saved, we are justified, and the Lord sees us as perfect, but we're not actually perfect until glorification, when progressive sanctification has run its course. And, you know, God never says, um, that we're going to be free of our vices, of our old bad habits, of our you know sinful nature. But he actually says, becoming a Christian, um, spiritual warfare is going to increase. So, you know, it's going to be difficult. We've seen that in this season, and the lie that people choose to believe is that I have to be perfect. But then, since I'm not, and I realize I'm not, I often get discouraged. But Second um, Corinthians three eighteen says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Progressively, Jesus changes us into his image and likeness. And as he's doing this, he's removing the occurrences of sin in our life. Okay, so don't believe the lie that being born again means I have to be perfect. Um, the second misunderstanding is that it comes by confessing alone. Christianity is far more than just a lip service. It's not just saying the right things. Um, very often I'll meet with somebody in soul care and I'll say, hey, tell me your life story. I want to hear about how you grew up. I want to hear about your relationship with your parents. I want to hear about um, school and you know what did church look like? And very often it's okay. I had great Christian parents. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school and I had profession of faith when I was six years old. That's when I gave my life to Christ. I had a pastor that I prayed the prayer with and, and that's when I got saved. But then we are looking at their life and there's no fruit and they're finding themselves in a pit and in a hole where sin has just kind of overtaken their life, but they know the right things to say in the moment and they're just so confused. You see, um, while it is true that Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It is far much more than just confessing with our mouths. We have to believe in our hearts. And when this is done, this results in a new life. When we surrender ourselves completely to Jesus and listening to the Holy Spirit as he's convicting us and pushing us to make decisions and actions that are honor and glorifying to him. Matthew 7 says this, 721, 
Jesus emphasized, okay, he emphasized this, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So Jesus himself is saying, it's not just about our words, but it has to be about our actions. It has to be about our hearts being moved and our hearts being pointed towards Jesus and choosing to listen to the convictions that the Holy Spirit is placing on our heart. Third misunderstanding of being born again is that we are born into a religion. We're born into a religion. Um, being born again doesn't simply uh, result in becoming a member of a church organization. It doesn't result in being born into an earthly alliance. Uh, when we're born again, we are born into a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ. And then consequently, because of that, we enter into fellowship with other believers. That's where community enters. It's not like, okay, I'm saved. Now I'm a member of this group. It's okay, I'm, I'm saved through the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And because of that, um, I need other believers in my life. Because of that, I need people speaking into me. Because of that, I need people that are gonna point me to Jesus and help me understand the work that he's doing and how to just love the people around me. Now that we, you know, understand maybe some um, misconceptions or misunderstandings of what it means to be born again, uh, I want to dive into this conversation with Nicodemus and really focus on um, realizing what being born again requires. The first thing being born again requires is recognizing who or what my God is. Um, Nicodemus, as he approaches Jesus, he acknowledges that there's something special about him. He calls him rabbi. He says, you know, I believe that you are sent by God uh, because the things that you are doing, they wouldn't be possible without you being sent by God. You, know, you see, what he's failing to acknowledge is that Jesus Christ is God. And um, a lot of us, we have the same issue as Nicodemus. We fail to realize who God really is, but but we also fail to realize the gods that we've made in our own lives. And we live in a culture where it is so easy to make anything an idol. It is so easy to take anything that can be good, that can be a blessing, that can be something that the Lord has given us, and slowly it becomes, uh, it starts to take the place of uh, God. And we make that the thing that we look to for our security and our comfort and, and our joy. Um, for me specifically in this season, I have found that I have a major heart issue with idolizing comfort. And that may come as a surprise to some of you that know me. I spent my early 20s in the Marine Corps using a helmet as a pillow, sleeping in holes in the ground, uh, doing foot patrols in Afghanistan. And I, the goal was to make myself as uncomfortable as possible. So maybe now that's why like, I just idolize the idea of being comfortable, but it's like, I will view something. Um, it can be work, it can be school, it can be uh, family and relationships. And, and I will work so hard to be successful and in my mind, be the best at whatever that is so that I can just coast, so that I can just show up. I can just do my thing. I have the image of being good. I have the image of being successful, but in my heart, I'm like, man, I can, I can just chill now. I can just ride this out and everything's going to be fine. Maybe you're like me. And the past six months has really just rocked us and rocked our security, rocked the, the little gods that we have in our lives. And in this season, I had to realize, Nate, you're not meant to be comfortable. You're not. You're not meant to just coast through life. That Jesus says, I would rather have you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, so in this season, I've had to learn, okay, 
you know what, this is a good check for me. This is a good a time for me to reorient my view and really focus on Jesus being the Lord of my life and not just focusing on all the little things that bring me comfort and help me feel complacent. You know, the reality is that this hinders my relationships. It hinders my spiritual growth. It hinders my relationship with the Lord. So right now is a time to really sit back and think about what are those things in this season that we are idolizing instead of recognizing and acknowledging who the true God of the universe is. Verse three, um, Jesus is going to recognize this in Nicodemus. He's going to call him to the mat on it. Go ahead, follow along with me. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is going to say this multiple times here and multiple times throughout scripture. He says, truly, truly. Now, why, why does he do that? You know, I've, I, what I know about scripture is when words are repeated, um, there's, there's an emphasis there. You know, I, I guess we could say that with like any kind of literature. But what, what exactly is he saying? The word truly uh, is translated amen in the Greek. You know, usually we'll say this at the end of a prayer. We'll see this at the end of an epistle or one of the letters in scripture. Um, and, but this is a statement. It's, a, it's accepting, you're agreeing, you're endorsing whatever was previously said. Okay, but what Jesus is doing here by leading with amen, it is not only a, 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 a implying that what about to follow is true, but the person saying that truly, truly has firsthand a knowledge and experience about what is going to be said, that he has full authority over what is coming next. Let's look at some other verses where he says that John 5, 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. John six forty seven says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. John 8, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So this, along with 23 other times in scripture, are just clear instances where Jesus is claiming his divinity. He's saying, hey, Nicodemus, you need to listen to this because this isn't just true what I'm telling you, but I am the author of what is about to happen. I've foreseen it before you were even born, before the world was even created. I am. You need to pay attention here. Look at verse four. Nicodemus responds. He says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, here it is, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then look at, pay attention here. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay. So don't let this text uh, fool you. Don't make it look like uh, Nicodemus doesn't know what Jesus is saying. He, he fully understands where Jesus is going with this conversation. Uh, the rabbis, they had a saying that a proselyte or a Gentile who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child. So he understands the, the idea, the concept of being born again. But instead, what Nicodemus is wrestling with is the heart change that is required. It's like, 
like he's thinking, okay, I get it. You're talking about radical, fundamental change that needs to happen in my heart. But you need to understand this life that I've lived, I've just been trying to do the own, the, my own things. I've been trying to, you know, make these laws and, uh, completely honor them, completely do what the Lord tells me to do. And now, now you're telling me to pivot. Now you're telling me that, that it's not by what I'm doing. And to be born again, I have to have a new heart. I don't understand. How is this possible? Isn't this the heart cry of all of mankind and all of creation that we get to a point where we're miserable. We get to a point where we're trying to do things in our own strength and we know that we need change. But man, the past 30 years, I've built a life of doing whatever I want to do. How is this possible? Explain this to me. I don't under, it's too hard. I can't simply just climb back into my mother's womb. I can't simply just start over and press a reset button. This is why Jesus says, hey, don't marvel at what I said about being born again. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. And then he uses this amazing illustration. Look at verse eight. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the spirit. And the point that Jesus is making is that being born again, it requires repentance and heart change. Being born again requires repentance and heart change. It is impossible to be born again without repentance and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Um, are you guys ready for some hard truth? There are so many people that tune, that tune in on the weekends that walk into church where they hear a message and they believe that they are Christians and followers of Jesus, but they know absolutely nothing of repentance. We're so thankful to have Christ as Savior, but we know nothing about having Him as the Lord of our lives. Um, let me take you back to 2013 when I got saved. And I remember I was uh, going through counseling and my wife was going through counseling together. And I heard the gospel for the first time. And I was like, man, I can be saved? That, that, that there's an opportunity for me where I don't have to go to hell? I didn't think that was possible. I was so focused on my sin and condemnation. And I loved the idea of a savior. I, I loved it. I was excited about it. But accepting him as Lord and having to submit to what he was calling me to do, having to work through my anger issues, having to work through um, my past identities and who I really thought that I was, that was challenging. That was hard. In order to be saved, yes, I had to confess with my mouth, but believing in their heart, there had to be true repentance and true heart change. There needs to be a response to conviction that results in actions, repentance. It involves a changing of our mind. When we look at that biblical word repentance, it's made up of two words, after and thought or mind. And what it means is that whatever previous activity that occupied our mind that was um, counter to what God's word calls us to do, uh, it simply means that, that that can't happen anymore. That can't be um, sticking in our minds. And no, the temptation itself is not a sin. Uh, we will all face temptation. Jesus faced temptation. But to dwell on that temptation and have it uh, completely consume our thoughts to the point where we're acting on that temptation, that's when it becomes sinful. And that's when we need to grow in our repentance. And that's when we need to seek the Holy Spirit, pray for conviction, and pray for um, actions that we can take to take steps towards the Lord. 
be born again is not just asking Jesus into our heart. If that happens without repentance, it will not bring about regeneration. It will not bring about a new life. Being born again is about a radical change that takes place in a person's life where through repentance and the work of the Holy Spirit, um, we are given new nature. And we see this in scripture. Go ahead and look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So let's go ahead. Let's dive into this illustration that Jesus uses in verse eight. It says the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Being born again, it is like our experience with the wind. You know, we see right now the weather's changing, the leaves are changing colors, they're falling off of the trees. And in and my house, my backyard, my front yard, we have so many trees. It's so discouraging um, because I absolutely loathe yard work. It is the worst for me. Um, whatever your worst thing is, maybe going to the dentist or whatever, that that is the equivalent for yard work for me. So my plan this year um, my, my neighbor's Jim, he, he goes to church. He's probably going to see this sermon, but my plan this year is to get a leaf blower and I'm going to take all the leaves. I'm just going to blow them into Jim's yard because I don't want to deal with it. Honestly, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to bag them up. It's so much easier to just blow them into Jim's yard. So Jim's going to wake up one morning. He's going to look outside and there's going to be all these leaves and he's going to see the effect of the wind. He's going to see the effect of the leaf blower, but I'm definitely going to do this while Jim's at work. So he's not going to see that I'm doing it. Okay. So in the same way, in our lives, we see the effects of the Holy Spirit, but we don't see the Holy Spirit himself. And that is why faith is so important. And with those who are born of the Spirit, the, the work is evident. It's visible in their lives, even though the Spirit can't be seen. We, we think about people, how do we know that we're saved? Um, time and fruit. Is there a time and a, a duration from where we accept Christ as our Savior to the point where we're at now walking with Him that we can look at ourselves and be like, okay, man, I, I can see progress that I've made. I can see steps that I've taken. Like, like I am so encouraged because the Holy Spirit's moving in my life. Verse 9 says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? Yet you did not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus, uh, this is interesting. He's rebuking Nicodemus. He's saying, hey, you, you are a teacher of the Jews. Man, you, sh you should know the Old Testament. You, you should know these references that I'm making. And Jesus is quoting here Ezekiel 36, where he's saying, hey, you have to be born of the water and the spirit. Look at Ezekiel 36, 25. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what we're seeing here, uh, the final thing with Nicodemus is being born again um, realizes it requires realizing, I don't know it all. Being born again requires realizing I do not know it all. Um, and this is my fear is that we will tune in. We will, you know, watch me talk for about a half an hour. We'll, you know, maybe take notes, but then completely check out 
when I'm done talking. And this will just be another sermon. This will just be another talk that you showed up to and, and listened. And, and I just want to ask us the question, are we humble enough to accept? Maybe we don't know it all. Maybe um, I accepted Christ as Savior, but I haven't been living Him uh, living is with him as Lord. Maybe when I think about the wind and, and hearing about the effects of the wind, but we don't see the wind itself. Man, I've never thought about the Holy Spirit that way. Uh, are we humble enough to accept that? Um, we don't have it all put together, that we are in desperate need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And then this is what Jesus is going to go into um, as he's closing in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What Jesus is doing here, it's amazing. He's quoting the Israelites as they were, um, they were in the wilderness, they're grumbling, they're complaining, and there's consequences for that. And what Jesus is essentially saying is, hey, I am the only way to eternal life. Hey, Nicodemus, you should know this story. Hey, put the pieces together. And let's just go ahead and look there. Numbers 21, verse 4 says, From Mount Or, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient along the way. And the people spoke out against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. Pay attention here. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Isn't this a picture of the gospel? Isn't this a picture of the fallen state of humanity? That the snakes, the, the fiery serpents, they're symbolic to sin. And isn't that just the perfect symbol that the Lord uses? Because it was the serpent that uh, deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And it was the serpent that caused this trickle-down effect of sin onto our life bringing sin completely into the world that uh, we inherit in our nature. Um, because of this, our, our very nature has been destroyed. Romans said that there is none not righteous, uh, no, not one. Uh, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then we see this. The Lord tells Moses to lift up a serpent, um, something in the image of a serpent, okay? And I just think that's so interesting how he doesn't use an actual serpent because Jesus was lifted up in the likeness of sin. Okay, scripture says that for God has done the law weakened by flesh, uh, couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So in the same way as Moses is lifting up this serpent and the people have to shift their gaze and look at the serpent in order to be healed, we see Jesus lifted up in the likeness of sin. Because there's so many times where we have to come to a spot where we're shifting our gaze off of ourselves, off of our brokenness, off of our sinful nature, the venom that is running through our veins. And we have to look to Jesus on the cross in order to save us. It wasn't in this moment that Nicodemus pieced that together. But what will follow with Jesus being betrayed, with Jesus being beaten, uh, going to the cross, being lifted up on the cross, 
And as he's there bearing the wrath of God, dying for you, dying for me, dying for Nicodemus, Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea is going to be uh, the men that go and claim Jesus's body. And in that moment, he would have put it together. In that moment, he would be like, okay, you know what? I understand what being born again means. I understand that I need to come to a place where I'm accepting that, you know what, you aren't just sent from God, but you are God himself. And that requires a response. See, with all this, Jesus has set down for all the generations um, that radical change and new birth that we experience is possible only when he takes on our infected natures himself, when he bears the venom and imparts a new nature for us. So as I close, I just want to ask us a question, and this is our big question. Am I born again? Very simple, not wordy, not complicated. Am I born again? We need to contemplate this message, contemplate this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus and really kind of ask ourselves uh, what being born again requires. Do I have this? Recognizing who or what my God is, uh, repentance and heart change and realizing I don't know it all. You know, maybe right now you're hesitating to come to Christ. Um, The Israelites did that also when they were bitten, when they were infected, when they knew that certain death was awaiting them. They procrastinated. They rationalized. They said, no, not yet. But eventually, that sickness will run its course. And if we are not in Christ, if you're watching this, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that sickness will run its course and there won't be a second chance. Um, Eventually, the Israelites, they had to realize they had to shift their gaze. They had to realize, I'm sick. I'm broken, Um, death is awaiting me. Either way, the moment they looked to the serpent um, that Moses lifted up, uh, they were healed, they were saved. Okay, and in the same way right now, we have to look to Jesus on the cross, believing that he fully paid the price of my sin. And if I want to be healed of this disease called sin, and if I want new and eternal life and a new regeneration in my soul, This is the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. This is the conversation that we need to make real in our lives right now. If we have a repentant spirit um, and realize that Jesus did in fact bear our sins on the cross, that he died a death that we deserve and then rose, defeating sin and death three days later, we will be saved. So let's do that. Let's take that step. Let's glorify God right now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Lord, I just thank you for this series. Lord, I thank you for how timely it is and how we can just look to your son, look to your your son and his words and his actions and his interactions with people. And Lord, I just pray right now for um, two words that have been thrown around so loosely in the church, uh, the idea of born again, Lord, that we would really think um, about that and contemplate that. Am I born again? Lord, is this just lip service for me? Do I just know the right things to say? Or do I have an actual living, breathing relationship with you that's producing fruit in my life? And Lord, if, if that's not the case, right now is an opportunity to do that. Lord, right now is an opportunity to shift our gaze, to look to you and just ask you to um, save us, that we can confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts and we will be saved. So Lord, I just thank you for your church. I thank you for your faithfulness and just growing us and sustaining us in this season. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.